Welcome to Kickback with Chris, the martial arts podcast. Brought to you by www.mitmaster.com. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Kickback with the Chris and Martial Arts podcast. I hope you've all had a great day so far or evening or whatever it is where you guys are. Uh, so this week we're going to be doing a sort of a taking your questions or topics, subjects type episode. Not done one of these for a while. Um, the the last couple of weeks, for me anyway, have been, well, last actually month has been pretty hectic, obviously between running my school full time. Um, I've been going away and teaching on courses, teaching courses myself, uh, training and additional stuff. It's all been a little bit chaotic. Um, it's not that we've not been able to uh, get guests interested. We've got plenty of people lining up wanting to be on the show, which is really cool. But I just fancied, you know, a bit of a more chilled out episode this week. Uh, so thought it'd be nice to take your questions of which we have had plenty sent in which is really cool a good a real good mix of uh, different types of topics and questions um some of which i'm sure you'll be perfectly happy with the answers to and and you know on the other side i'm pretty sure some of you won't be so happy but you know that's just the way it goes sometimes so what i'm going to do um just before that i am going to go through a couple of posts that we've had in the podcast event promotion group because i need to keep on top of these and um, obviously for it to work so um, the first one is from uh, Mr. Nathan Salmon, who's been on a few times. He's been actually been on the show, um, and he's jumped on there just to let everybody know about the uh, UK Forms Challenge 2019, which is going to be taking place at the Martial Arts Show, the UK Martial Arts Show in Doncaster. Um, the actual the information itself it says on the Saturday you get to train with it says train with the best on Saturday the fourth, and then compete with the best on Sunday the fifth. So I'm I'm assuming that there's going to be um, some some form of training going off on the Saturday with the view to the competition taking place on the Sunday. Um, if you're wanting to register, you need to go to uh, project-gravity.com. Um, I'm assuming you can also get in touch with Nathan or indeed the the organisers. Uh, of the event itself to get some more information but um, it's listed as being weapons divisions open hand divisions extreme divisions creative traditional battles which I'm assuming is like a tricking battle which are always really really cool to watch Um, even if it's not sort of your thing if you're not into it just go go along and watch and appreciate these athletes at work because it is it is utterly amazing to watch and um, a testament to their hard work and dedication that they put into their training. Um, the next one we've got is from Mr. Rick Burns, an old friend of mine in the industry for many years. Uh, he's just popping on there to let everybody know about the WTKA European Championships on Sunday the 31st of March at the Barnsley Metrodome. Um, like the post before, you know all the different uh, categories that you can you can think of. Um, I was about to say shake a stick out, which is quite funny because they actually do do uh, the sports sword and weapons combat systems as well. But um, and again, another one that sort of maybe causes a bit of division from time to time. But what I would say is go along and have a look at this um, and and see what they're doing with it and um, the 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 students that it's enabling to get more involved with the sport as well. So do go do go along and have a look if you if you're interested in that sort of thing. Um, there is let me see here the new division is the black belt challenge this is a free event as long as you've registered in one of your own weight division or uh, weight division in points or light continuous could you be could one of your team be our first ever black belt champion hmm so 
If you're interested in finding out some more about that, you can go to theopenchampionships.co.uk or you can give Rick himself a call on 07841353453. So let's jump straight into our questions now. Now, because these questions have come in from all over the place, some of them have come in via the Facebook group, some of them via via private message, some of them via my own personal Facebook group. What I've tried to do is get them all collated on my phone so that I can um, go through them all one at a time. So you'll have to bear with me if there's a bit of a delay between me um, finding the questions and uh, obviously giving you the answers because I've got to search for them a little bit. Um, I did have them all printed out, all nicely organised, and then I went and left the printout at my gym in the office, and I'm actually recording this from home today. So um, you just have to bear with me a little bit. Right, so the first question, we're going to jump into some, to a couple of meaty ones straight away. The first question, now what I'm going to do is I'm actually um, I'm going to use uh, the names of the people that posted on the public pages because I'm assuming you're quite happy for people to see your question, so you're not going to mind me mentioning your name. And the ones that came in via PM, I'm not going to mention your names because I did say if you want to be anonymous, you can send a private message. So I'm just going to run on the basis that the private messages are wanting to remain anonymous. So the first one we had came in from Mr. Matt State, who's been a guest on the show in previous uh, previous episodes. Um, his question, his first question was, why do traditional or sports fighters think that they can teach self-defense? Right, where do we start with this one? Okay, I think what I would like to point out, first of all, from, from say, my side, um, is that I don't think all... Um, traditional and sports martial arts. I'm not for a second claiming, Matt, that you're saying this, but I, I think it's important that we do cover this because I think a lot of people do think this. I don't think that all sports and traditional-based martial arts instructors think that they can t- teach self-defense. But I think what's really important to remember here is the way that martial arts have been taught, um, rightly or wrongly, for a very, very long time. I mean, I remember going back now to my training in the 1980s and looking back on some of the things we covered you know there was some utterly bonkers self-defense you know laying on the floor and kicking knives out of people's hands and this sort of thing but I'm not going to put I'm not going to put any sort of blame on my instructors back then because that's the way that they were taught too and what you need to remember is that the, the martial arts community back then was a lot more isolated you know, you, you, you maybe had your one club in your local town and, you know, the, maybe the, the next one in the next town and they would be maybe brought together for sort of training events on a an annual basis maybe. Um, and, and this is what they were being taught as being what they had to teach. You know, no questions were to be asked. Now, I think now with the internet, with social media and with the way that it is, especially if you look back on my previous episode with Rob from McDojo Life, it's much easier now for people to get information on what is correct self-defense, which again is a subjective thing. Um, And on the other side, you know, bad examples of what people teach as well. And, and, And People are going into this now um, more informed as students and potential students. And the instructors that do want to pull a fast one, are, I'm personally thinking anyway, they're, they're thinking, you know, ah, I'm more likely to get caught out with this now. So maybe I do need to do a little bit more research into what it is that I'm teaching. Now, I personally don't include any sort of self-defense. I just did that with air quotes with my fingers and when you can't see them <laughs> within my classes. And and we don't advertise as such that 
you know, we are teaching physical-based self-defense. Now, one could argue that by default, um, through the, the training that we give these youngsters and adults in our classes, you know, they are they are learning to strike. They are learning to take a strike. They are improving their own sort of awareness and, and discipline and, you know, their self-confidence, which in its own right is a form of self-defense. I'm not saying it's physical self-defense, but, you know, if they're more aware of their surroundings, if they are more confident, it could be argued that they're less likely to end up in situations where they're having to defend themselves. Now, that's not an absolute, you know, it's not like some special Jedi chi power. You know, I've trained in martial arts, therefore no one will come near me or attack me. Absolutely not. But I think it does go some way towards um, helping them. Uh, Now, I think on the other side... And I'm again, I'm not saying this is you. I'm just saying I have seen this. I think that sometimes um, some self-defense instructors can have a bit of a bad attitude towards sports-based and traditional martial arts. And I think also uh, it's worth remembering that, you know, a lot of traditional martial arts, when you look at their reasons for being and the reasons why they were developed, they can be and are in many cases, or, you know, all right, some cases, um, practical, you know. Um, do people sometimes go to an extreme one way or another? Absolutely, they do. But I don't think it's fair to say that traditional martial arts can't and ultimately all don't work. Um, there was a basis in combat with all of them at some point. So, you know, it, it, I think it's a case of the instructor and the students as well having to delve into those arts to find out what is practical about them and what is complete and utter guff. Um, now, as I say, you know, uh, on the subject of some, you know, more self-defense instructors having a bad attitude towards sports and traditional arts, they can as well, I've seen, you know, have a pretty ropey history. They make a lot of, some, not all, but some, as as is the same with the sport and traditional side, know make some pretty bold claims about their experience and then when you look into it a little bit more it's nothing but a lot of sort of faff guff and 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 hot air and their their background is you know pretty ropey to say the least so i think we just need to be careful really with 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 this whole subject and you know uh, take into consideration perhaps the things that have been mentioned but let's move on next question um now, the next one, again, I think, was... Yes, it was from Matt as well. He was um, talking about politics. Um, my phone's just decided to go on to standby, so I'm just going to try and find it now. Um, he was saying about, why do we as martial arts practitioners teach humility, respect, and lack of ego, yet martial arts politics is worse than a room full of bickering four-year-olds that miss nap time? Okay. Ultimately, politics within martial arts will always be there. You know, it cannot be eradicated. It will always be there. The thing with martial arts is you've got to remember is that by default, it's quite competitive and it attracts, you know, not all, not everybody, but it does attract quite a competitive type of person, um, which will inevitably cause friction between different groups with different ideas, um, which will by default generate politics. Now, I I don't really have any interest in getting involved in the more political side of things, you know. It, it's it, it's an utter nightmare, um, and you know it's 
it's unfortunately one of those things where you know you, you can, and I've ended up in this situation as well. You end up stuffed either way. You know, you you, you try not to pick sides in arguments and and, and political goings on. Um, you know, you try and sort of maybe, for want of a better description, sit on the fence and and try and stay neutral, and then you end up dragged by either side into their side or their argument, and then you know end up in the ridiculous situation of being out of favour with both. So. You, know, you you really can't win, um, and again, I think it ties in nicely, or to a certain degree, uh, with the previous question. You know, um, it, it it's inevitable that people are going to have opinions on certain things, which will, by default, create create division um, and sort of people forming little groups, opinion groups, which creates politics. So you know you. It's never going to go away. Um, so we sort of, you just have to, I don't know, you just have to deal with it the best you can in your own way, really. Um, then the next one, this is a different, a bit of a change in tone. Um, the next question comes from Helen, who asks, let me just get it on my phone. She says, um, I'm interested in mindfulness, meditation, and how this is applied in martial arts training and how we can enhance this further at home. Now, this is quite a. Um, an in-depth one, and there's, there's, I suppose there's a lot of different answers and different approaches that could be taken to this one, and I guess this is just mine. Now, I'm no expert in meditation or uh, anything in, in that respect, so I can only come at this one really from from my background, my experience. Um, for me, uh, with, with the way that I teach anyway, I think that a lot of this, especially with the, sort of the mindfulness elements of it as well, it's picked up via sort of osmosis over time. You know, I try not to stand in front of my classes and sort of preach too much on the virtues and the the uh, the, sort, the sort of more uh, ethical sort of mindfulness elements of of training. But um, obviously, it's very clear we do instill those elements of respect with the bowing and you know. Um, encouraging students to be aware of their actions during class you know we've been working this last week on a on a little thing you know uh, every time they go to do something in class ask themselves a question should i do this yes or no if the answer is no don't do it if the answer is yes put extra effort in you know just getting them to sort of police uh, their own thoughts and and over time I found anyway through the kids that we work with over a longer period and indeed some of the adults as well you know it does help help them to sort of shape and, and consider their own thoughts and actions. Now, with regards to the meditation side, you know, for me, um, I'm a big advocate of the sort of traditional forms, um, you know, concentrating on your breathing and, and focus whilst you're doing that. It, you know, there, there are, uh, depending on what your background you're, you train in, there are, you know, there's, there's usually upwards of sort of 10 plus forms minimum um, per, per system. And um, although that's not an absolute, obviously, but as a, as a rough example, you know, and if you do them all in order from start to finish or from from finish to start, whichever way around or mix them up, you know, you do tend to and other people have said this as well. You know, you do tend to put yourself in a place of you're focusing on your breathing, you're focusing on your movement and all the things in in the day to day life, the stresses and strains and worries, they do they do sort of disappear to a different place in your head whilst you're focusing on what you're doing and um, so for me that is a form of of meditation um 
maybe not to the degree that some people may associate with the stereotypical, you know, sat folded, legs folded on on the floor, uh, eyes closed breathing, but it is a form of going back into your own thoughts, into your focusing on your breathing and getting back to the basics. So for me anyway, that is that is definitely one thing that, you know, I do encourage my students to do is to spend a bit of time on their forms in their own time, you know, spending some time in their own thoughts focusing on their breathing, on their movement, um, and, and just finding that sort of restful place. So the next question comes in from uh, Darren, who asks, uh, well, he says, I wonder if you can help me. I'm seven months post-hip replacement and want to get back into kicking. He's been told that he'll never be able to do it again. Uh, please tell me, is there a way uh, around this to strengthen both legs and hips? Thanks in advance. Okay, so first thing I'll say to the, on this one is talk to your specialist. You know, I am not a medical expert, you know, so it's, it's, there's very, there's an important part of this as well that I think you need to consider and you probably already have, but anybody listening in, you need to think about as well. The part in which he says, um, which I've been told I'll never do again. Now, is that can't, is it a can't, is it a, you can't do it because physically, anatomically now because of the setup in your hip, you cannot do it. Or is it a can't on the basis of statistically most people that these specialists come across find won't? That that is an important element or part of this to establish before you even attempt any of the things or uh, any of the things that you're thinking of or that my I might mention now. Now, f- from my experience that I've had with with an operation ten years ago. Um, I was actually told that I wouldn't be able to do X, Y, and Z and that I should avoid X, Y, and Z. And, you know, one of those or two of those main things were um, running and kicking. Now, as it would happen, I do avoid running now wherever possible. Uh, A bit of a light jog to warm up, but the only time I ever run is if I'm late somewhere or I'm running away from somebody, (laughs) the latter being one that I've not fortunately had to do in the last 10 years. Except for my own kids, maybe, trying to shoot me with water pistols and the like. But, joking aside, um, you know, I was told I wouldn't be able to kick. And as martial artists, we don't generally take to being told things that we can't do. It's a little bit like that sort of Martin McFly syndrome, I guess, you know. Um, being called chicken. You know, you, you don't... Telling a martial artist they can't do something is is ultimately going to, as your question suggests, is going to force us into, um, you know, trying to give it a go. Now, as I say, you need to establish the reason for your can't before you even attempt anything. But what I would say is, if you if you if you feel you can manage it and it's safe to, having taken that advice, be patient. Um. I was sort of a year before I got anywhere back to sort of 70-80% of what I was doing before my op on my knee. Um, and I know it's a different joint altogether, but I think it's fair to say that some of the approach, the ethos is, you know, it, it is similar. What I would also suggest is the internet, you know, we all walk around with these little pocket information devices, our phones. The internet is an amazing wealth of information. You know, get on there and research other people that have had a similar, if not identical, um, surgery to yourself. You know, I ultimately, I found the answers that I needed from uh, rehab specialists who um, work with uh, basketball players in America. 
because I found that there was a, although, you know, you might think, well, what's basketball got to do with martial arts? But the way that they were moving, twisting, jumping, extending, the explosive power that they were pushing and both to shoot with the, bat, the ball and when they were jumping to catch and land and move around, there were so many similarities to what I was doing or what I wanted to do with my, with my knee. Um, so I followed a uh, sort of a rehab plan uh, laid out for NBA basketball players and it worked. You know, um, I was told that I would probably get about five years out of the operation if I took it steady and that in all likelihood I would be looking at a knee replacement probably within sort of 10 years. Now that 10 years has come and gone and I'm, you know, touch wood, still kicking around and doing things that I want to do. Now, have, have I had to tone it down? Absolutely, I've had to tone it down. And I have to consider what I'm doing. But, you know, I think, I think essentially what I'm saying is, you know, listen to your body, listen to the advice of your specialist, first and foremost, but be patient and just look at every single gain as a mini victory. And just, you know, be patient. Don't expect the world. And and best of luck with it, really. I think that's that's ultimately, you know, the, the best thing I can say on that one. Right, the next one, um, I'm going to move up to uh, Kevin asks, um, a breakdown and discussion of the infighting and drama within the Taekwondo groups and styles would be interesting. Right, okay. How do I say this nicely? <laughs> I really have zero interest in this, this area. It's not to say that I'm not happy to discuss it, and we've actually talked about having a future guest on to, to discuss this one, which I am happy to do. But me personally... I have no time or interest for any of this crap. You know, um, I run a school based on ITF-based Taekwondo syllabus. I have a background in WT, or was WTF-based Taekwondo. And it's, I was privy to all of this infighting and bitching and moaning that went on on a constant basis through these groups. And I just could not give two craps about any of it because it is utterly pointless arguing about which stance is the right stance and which pattern is the correct version of this it's, it's it's nonsense it's utter nonsense it completely detracts from the reason that people get into martial arts training in the first place you know the average student doesn't give a toot about you know sine wave this or you know oh, it, and and the amount of um, look, i'll give you an example when I first opened my school back in 2002, based on ITF-based uh, criteria, so I had the ITF. So I had, sorry, I had the Taekwondo script Korean on my door, and within two weeks, I had some busybody turn up from another local ITF establishment, dressed head to toe in his kit. He may as well have brought a ruddy clipboard with him. Now picking faults at this and that and this and that and this and that. So I politely. Um, said to him would you like to just stay for the evening and join him with some classes I have absolutely no issue with that he looked a bit surprised by that I think I don't think he was expecting me to, to do that and so he stayed and without wanting to blow my own trumpet I kind of bounced him around the gym a little bit in, in some sparring um, let him pick some faults at some forms and then off he off he jogged and never heard anything after that you know I think it's all too easy to get involved in all this politics and arguing about things. And at the end of the day, the students don't care. They just want to, they just, uh, people come to martial arts for all different things, you know, for physical benefits, mental benefits, 
whatever it is. But ultimately, they, they, they really don't give us stuff about the politics. And I think, you know, if we're not careful, we, we end up getting too drawn into it and it actually detracts from what it is that we're wanting to do, which is benefit our students. So, you know, Kevin, as much as that's probably not the answer that you were expecting or wanting, that is where I stand on it. You know, I'm I'm not interested. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> you know, um, uh, again, as a kid, you know, I, when I, I remember that, you know, we were in a, we were in a, the club that we we're in, and there were certain people that had an almost sort of Cobra Kai approach to one of the other local schools, which I ultimately ended up training at because of the school that I was originally at closing, and. The, the image that was portrayed by them couldn't be further from the truth. So, you know, it's... Do your own research. Go out there and look into it properly and just don't take what other people say as being the gospel truth, really, I would say. So, um, moving on. The next one now. we got one. We, we had a few people um, comment on one of the live videos, uh, one of which was Mr. Bob Sykes. And he very, very simply asked, how do you stay so flexible? Um, to be honest, I'm not really that flexible. I'm not that stretchy. Um... I used to be, um, and through sheer stupidity, and through bad practices as a child, you know. Um, again, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to slate my instructors back then because they were only doing what they were taught to do, and nobody explained to them any differently. But you know, the old practices of jumping on people's knees and pushing their backs and forcing them into the splits and stuff—it's not good. It's just not good for your joints uh, or your ligaments or anything like that. So I, you know, I've suffered with a little bit, but I, thankfully, sort of my late teens and early twenties, I switched out my training completely. So I've managed to avoid a lot of the issues that, you know, some people sort of around their forties tend to get and and have, which I'm lucky, you know. Um, but flexibility, I'm not overly flexible or supple, and I never have been. What I tend to emphasise is working on, and I was talking about this at one of my workshops at the weekend. I place a, a, a massive emphasis on working on the flexibility range required within the kicking range of effective kicking. So, you know, I don't tend to work any of my kicks sort of above, much above sort of six foot plus a little bit because that's the the, the extreme of, you know, an example of me a kick that I would need to land. There's no need for me to tickle the ceiling with my toes. Um, I can if I really need to, you know, for the occasional sort of fancy photo. But I don't train it on a regular basis because it's just going to wreck my hips and everything else. So, you know, I, you know, and if without getting into too much technical detail, which I can and I like to, but, you know, if you take a sort of a midsection psychic and then a head psychic, the, the, the amount of movement within the chamber, within the hip, is tiny. So, you know, I like to work on sort of the flexibility and more importantly, the strength and control within that tiny movement to allow me a greater greater control over my uh, kicking range. So a little bit less on flexibility and a little bit more on strength and control. I would say that's that's how I've managed to keep a perceived, I would say, level of, of, of flexibility. Um, the next question that came in on the same thread on the live video was from Mr. John Higo, somebody who I have a lot of respect for and as... We've had some you know, conversations back and forth over the years on social media. And I do really need to make the effort to go and meet up with him because he is fairly close by. Um, he was commenting on uh, limiting head contact and his, and his thoughts and feelings on and around that subject. Now, you know, I will immediately say I don't have a huge amount of experience within this field. Yes, you know, I have competed in the past and within my school we do have 
a number of well, all our students that stay past intermediate level do sparring. Um, and within his post, I'm trying to remember now exactly because it was actually on a different thread. I'm trying to see if I can find it. He was talking about the research that's been done, and subsequently, and the inevitable amount of claims um, that are starting to be put in against people in the in the United States. Um, any of my friends or listeners over there that could verify that 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 would be cool. You know, by all means, do you know get in touch. Um, and the inevitability of you know what tends to happen in the USA tends to filter into the UK. Uh, and he was asking, you know, what sort of measures are people putting into their schools and uh, tournaments, etc., to limit um, heavier head contact? Now, um, in my school, you know, interest. It's interesting one. This one, um, you know, we we've we have a policy, whereas uh, at intermediate level, when they start sparring, we we limit the head contact, um, you know, and they don't. We don't start. It's not emphasizing or pushing. We don't start introducing it until a little bit further down sort of the... It's hard for me to put a a level on it because obviously all schools have different levels and belt systems and structures. So, you know, it's it's hard for me to say. But for us, as like a taekwondo-based school, um, we we don't really start um, focusing on it more heavily until sort of red stripe level, which is sort of like a lower level advanced student. Now, inevitably, you know, there will be the occasional head kick thrown it's going to happen prior to that um but you know sort of by red stripe level the student this is this is more in the kids i'll say by the way uh, they should have a, a, an increased ability to place and control their kicks by that level um and you know they're absolute they have to have head guards gum shields all that sort of thing anyway um so that's one way that we try to to sort of demonstrate that we are trying to control things ultimately you know with any risk assessments and stuff that's what it's about isn't it demonstrating an ability to you know do you have a policy in place yes can it 100% remove the the, the risk absolutely not but you've demonstrated that you understand there's a risk and you've put something in place a policy or procedure in place to try and limit or negate the, the the potential problem now something that we've introduced with our adults classes is um now with just to give a bit of background, with our syllabus, it is a contact-based sport and, and, and training system. You know, so the, everybody gets into this knowing that ultimately, if they stay long enough, they're going to start sparring and there's going to be head contact. But what we've done is we've introduced a, which it's not a new thing. You know, people have been doing this for years, but we've introduced a sparring-only session. So those people that really have a love and a passion for sparring, that want to do it more, that want to focus on it more, can come to those sessions. And so by default, they know when they're coming to those sessions that they're putting themselves in an increased risk of injury because it is a sparring-only class. They can't really come into that sparring-only class and then complain when they get injured through sparring. Well, they could, but obviously you would hope that if you have these various policies and procedures in place that you've already highlighted through your risk assessment and you have then given a separate class to the people that want to focus on it more, that you you are by default then doing your best to try and limit that dangerous level of, of head contact. Now, on the flip side... To all of this, and it's which is uh, you may may argue is a separate discussion, but I think it is to a point um, tied into this. Which is more dangerous, the schools that are offering their students sparring, which by default increases the risk of head contact, or the non-contact schools 
that are um, promoting themselves as being an effective fighting and training system. Which is more dangerous? I would argue the non-contact training system is the more dangerous of the two because, you know, um, the students that aren't at any time putting any risk of any contact have no perception of contact or, or how to prepare themselves for that contact. So would, in uh, all likelihood, from my perspective and from argument's sake, suffer more serious blows if they were ever in the position of having to, to either spar or defend themselves. So I guess you could go on about this one for ages. And I've actually spoken to John about, you know, he was, I can't remember the chap's name, but he did actually mention somebody that would be a good person to have on as a guest. So maybe this is one for another time that we could we could maybe take a, a, a little bit further. Right, so moving on. The next one. Now this one, next one, bit of an odd one. I'll be honest. Um, I'm trying to remember his name. Gary Gary Clark. Um, sorry if that comes across rude, Gary, but it, it very simply, Gary just put the word money um, with no follow up to that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of take of this as I can and and, and assume that you're not you're not meaning it in a positive sense. Um, maybe that's my own fault, my own character fault. There, I don't know, but I, I would assume that if you've put money, it's because you want to discuss it. Um, because of the negative connotations surrounding it. Now, for me, as I've said this before, money is not a bad thing. You know, um, charging for martial arts classes is fine. And to a certain degree, the amount that is charged is irrelevant. Now, I think some people might find that a bit of a shocking statement from me, but um, I, I, I have taken a slightly different stance on that over the years. But as with all things, you know, through experience, through speaking to other people, opinions change. And I guess I have changed my opinion on this one a little bit, not because I've hiked my prices or anything, but, you know, the amount that char- that is being charged is, is, to a certain degree, irrelevant, just so long as the quality of teaching and the services rendered back up the reason for charging what is being charged. Now, there was a local, and I won't mention any names, but there was a, a, an instructor local to me, um, not too long about long ago on Facebook, having a bit of a rant on his soapbox about um, you know he finds it disgusting how much people charge for martial arts and that martial arts should be for everybody, and you know yeah it should be for everybody, but at the same time we need to do this with a degree of realism. You know we can't just go well you can. But if you're going to run a school full time, you can't just go handing it out for free, you know, for two pound fifty to everybody, because ultimately, you you know, your business is going to fail, and you're going to lose your school, and you're going to lose your platform in which to um, share your vision, your teaching with with more people. I know I'm really lucky through help in the early years, and then hard work that's been put in. To to have a school that we're able to have open seven days a week, benefiting the community. You know, I personally have the, the ethos with my school is I like to have a wide range of prices available to suit all pockets. You know, will our lower end of the spectrum still be too expensive for some people? Yeah, it probably is, but I can't go any lower than that because if I do, I can't run the business. And I feel that having a full-time center with you know matted floor and you know um, safe facilities, fully kitted out, is you know that that that's the value there. Now you know you've. Got, I think 
what we need to remember as well is that you can't simply say that it's you know if you're coming from the point of view of let's say martial arts should be for everybody so therefore it should be cheap you've got to remember that in this day and age you know people are willing to spend a massive amount of money on cigarettes alcohol sky television computer game systems which for argument well not all arguments sake some of them are detrimental to your health so you know do do we need to value ourselves lower than the price of a you know packet of cigarettes and a bottle of cheap wine i would say no um we are worth more than that um and, and as such it's not wrong to charge for your sorry that was my stomach if you heard it i am a bit hungry um it's not wrong to charge for martial arts i think ultimately what it comes down to with this one is you only look our, one of our highest rates is around a sort of like the 55 pounds a month 60 quid a month which you know some people might say is too cheap and then some people say oh that's too much but it ultimately comes down to you as the instructor you know if you're being honest and only you know if you're being honest you know and what and what do i mean by that i know i can lock up my gym every night knowing that i am doing the best by my students and that i'm not fiddling them screwing them out of any money we are doing i i know that i am doing the best by my students now i don't think that can be the same can be said for, for all i think you can kid yourselves into thinking that but i think secretly well it's not secret if it's in your head you know that you are fiddling your students a little bit you know maybe it is with um overly aggressive grading strategies shall we say you know um which is subjective but i think sometimes you know there are instructors out there that do take their whatever you charge for gradings and there isn't a, there isn't a proper assessment system in place. You just go, oh, they're paid. Here's your belt, and that's shady. And I think you, you well, you know it is. So that's number one. I think people tell themselves that it's not, but you know, you you know you know that it is. Um, number two, for me anyway, personally, sometimes I come across some very overly aggressive upgrade systems within schools. I don't think it's wrong to have upgrade systems or or to have uh, options, but some of them are a little bit shady in that, you know, there's a lot of peer pressure put on the students and the parents. Oh, but look, all the little Jimmy's mates have moved up into this new club and Jimmy hasn't, and he's going to feel left out. So, you know, give us 100 quid for a new suit that's cost me 15. And, you know, here's these extra things that we're going to teach that, it's really quite a lot of guff, really. It's not, and it, you know, you, you know what I'm saying. So, for me, that's that's the that's the side that's more important than what people charge for their classes. Um, on the flip side of things, without wanting to stay on this subject for too long, there are a lot of schools out there that teach absolute guff that only charge a few quid. Is that not worse? than the school teaching high-quality syllabus from properly trained and vetted instructors in a full-time centre charging a decent amount. I think it is worse, personally. Um, you know, the un, the, the, the self... No, none of the self-regulation is bad. The, the guy that just completely makes up a system off the top of his own head, rocks up to a church hall, doesn't pay any insurance, doesn't get a DBS check, and then just takes a few quid from their students 
to teach them this made-up martial arts, arguably, I would say that is a lot worse than um, the other side. But again, that's just my opinion. Right, next one. Um, now, this one, I'm not going to mention the name because I did say that if uh, anybody private messages that I will not mention names. So I'm just going to pull up the message now. Um, their question was, um, how do others deal with parents teaching their child from the spectator area? To the point the child looks at dad or mum for confirmation he or she is allowed to do the requested task. It's got to the point in their school that they're about to remove the child from a class, but it's not the child's fault. Three separate occasions, parents have been brought into the office to discuss, just wondered if any other instructors have had similar. The short answer to that is yes, it happens all the time. Uh, and this, I think, is it's an individual thing from school to school. Now, 10, 15 years ago, maybe not, maybe even five years ago, it's the sort of thing that would have annoyed me and I would have maybe spoken to the parent and I would have continuously let it slide out of fear for losing students and losing business and all that sort of thing. I don't know whether it's a thing whereas I'm getting older and jaded, I don't know, but now I have an absolute zero tolerance policy on any of this sort of stuff, you know, and I am happier going in to teach my classes now because of that. And I think that setting these boundaries within my school means that right from the get-go, everybody knows what's what. Now, you're right, it's not the child's fault. But, in my opinion, if it's left to slide, it will have a detrimental effect on all, potentially, on a lot of other students within your school. Because if one person's, one parent has been allowed to do this, others will see that, see there's no comeback from it, and then they'll be tempted into starting to do it as well. And it, it snowballs. And then and then you end up with, you know, all these mini coaches on the sidelines giving it what for. Um, I had a parent about six months ago pull me to one side and complain that their child hadn't graded and all the others had. In front of all the other parents, they were removed from the school on the spot. I didn't grab them by the back of the shirt and throw them out. I let them leave and then I spoke to them via email and said, you know, that is not acceptable behaviour. Please don't return to the school. Here's your refund for the month. Um, and, you know, that, that that needed to be done because there was a room full of parents that saw what happened and if, if they'd have been allowed to come back, then they would have been thinking, right, so every time I'm not happy with my child not grading or my child this or my, then I just need to stand up and have a good old whinge in front of everybody and I'll get my way. No, you, it's not. It's not how it works. Um, and, and obviously, you as an instructor recognize and understand that parent coaching from the sidelines like that is, is detrimental um, and, and potentially dangerous as well. Because the other students need to be concentrating on what you're saying, not what Jimmy's dad's shouting in from the edge of the mats. So, in my honest answer to the kick them out, kick them out. Yes, it's sad for the child. Maybe. Maybe it will make this parent realise that what they're doing is wrong and they may apologise and ask if they can come back. Maybe you could you could sort of meet halfway and you could say, look, Jimmy's dad, I'm sorry, but Jimmy can come training, but you need to go outside because I can't have you shouting in. And if he can't accept that, then remove them. Maybe that's you know a meet in the middle sort of thing that might work for you. Um, but don't feel bad about having to remove them because it's your school and you need to do what's best by your school and your students and you need to set the level. We, I don't know about in your school, but we have a, a welcome pack and we outline all this in uh, policy and procedures so they know 
they know from day one, providing they read it, of course. <laughs> Which, funnily enough, the people that tend to carry on like this, they're the ones that don't read the, the stuff that you give them anyway. So, you know, if you have a policy, first of all, maybe remind them of it. If they don't agree with it, send them packing and get on with running a good school. Right, next one. Let me have a little look-see here now. Um, next one, oh, it's actually two, um, came from our long-time supporter and follower of the show, uh, Max. And he, right, hang on, I just need to get these up because I've got his answers down in front of me, but I've forgotten, <laughs> forgotten to get his questions up. What a, what a plonker. Right, let me have a look-see, because he actually commented on one of my videos. Uh, one of my live videos, which is pretty cool. So just sing amongst yourselves whilst you uh, wait for me to get this up on here. <laughs> Such a pro. Uh, right, here we go. Okay, so uh, Mags asks, um, is it important for students to compete? I think all students should compete at least once. It's the closest one can get to actually testing what they have learned in a safe as possible environment. And then he goes on to talk about other things within within uh, competition as well. Right. Um, okay, so for me personally, I don't feel that it's important that your students compete. Um, it's a bit of a subjective on this one for sure. Uh, ultimately, I think it depends on the ethos of your school. Now, um, as a kid, I trained at school where everybody was expected to compete. And I remember really resenting that. I, I, I wasn't, initially I was afraid of competing, but then following an incident in class with sparring and it sort of opened those doors and the fear was removed. Um, but I just did not like competing. Just standing around for hours on end, waiting for a go, and you know, and then all the other guff that comes with it. And it, you know, I always remember thinking, if I ever have my own school when I'm older, I'm not going to make my students compete if they don't want to, um, b because you got to remember, so many different people get into martial arts for so many different reasons. And whilst I do feel it is important that all students of a combat-based system experience contact-based training. I don't think it's necessarily a requirement that they experience that in a competitive environment. You know, um, going back to what Matt was saying or asking about at the beginning of the show, you know, um, the differences and understanding the differences between sports-based martial arts fighting and self-defense and using the argument that um, a student needs to experience competition to to be able to fully test their skills. You know, again, it comes down. I think it comes down to the ethos of your school. Now, I don't think competitions are wrong. Absolutely, I don't. And I don't. Whilst I don't encourage aggressively my students to compete, I don't discourage those that want to compete. And I have taken students to competitions, and they've, you know, they've in some cases done very well. Uh, and, and competed sort of nationally, internationally, European level. But, um, you know, going back to what I said at the start, the, the question or the answer with, with my experience, I just don't, ex I don't, I don't enjoy the experience of competition. You know, um, the, 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 the utter mess of politics and infighting. And not only that, but now as well, 
you know, you, you you take your kids along to compete, and you've got parents screaming abuse at other kids. And I just don't like that environment. You know, there was a post on Facebook. I won't mention the instructor, but, you know, he, he took a child along to compete. And, you know, they were fighting in the novice division. They'd worked their backside off for the best part of a nine months or something to, to, to compete. And so they were they were up to a really good standard. And the requirement of the, the division in the tournament was that they needed to have not had any prior tournament experience and that they'd been training under a certain amount of time and they met the criteria and they were met by parents shouting that they were cheating and instructors um you know know, shouting that they they were it was a disgrace they were in the wrong division and you know i'm not saying that all tournaments like that but you know it's there and i don't have it i just don't have any need or want or desire to be around that sort of thing um, as I say, you know, if my I, I've got a couple of students now that have expressed an interest in competing this year, and I am going to take them, and I'm going to let them experience, and I'm going to coach them as best that I can. But ultimately, you know, if the, the the students within my school that aren't interested, they're not interested, and I'm not going to force them into it. You know, um, and I don't particularly feel that it is a requirement to test their skill. You know, we can uh, arrange for uh, them to train at other schools, for other schools and other instructors to work with them. You know, I actively encourage them to go to events like, you know, the Martial Arts Show and Kaizen and, and others to experience other systems to train and, and work alongside other people. So, you know, that, again, that's my that's my take on it. Um, the second half of Mag's question was with regards to uh, black belts. Oh, that old murky subject. Uh, he said, "He says I've recently got involved in an interesting Facebook discussion with regards to junior black belts, with particular focus on Taekwondo. Uh, he's never seen one used in any club that he's trained at, so he was surprised to learn that a full black belt should only be awarded to those that are 13 years and above, and even more surprised to learn that a lot of people have disregarded this in favour of a common sense or practical approach." I won't bore you with relaying the whole argument to you, but what stands out is that even in martial arts like Taekwondo, where there are hard, fast rules written down by the founder, we still don't have consistency, and everyone seems to have a different opinion. Whoa, where do I go on this one? Okay, now, I'm going to start, I'm going to go a little bit the other side with this to, to, to sort of key this in to get it started. Standards. I think standards are the single most important thing to consider before even getting into this discussion. Because for me, the question is, what is a black belt? Because what it was when I was eight, and again what it was when I was 19 when I passed, versus what it is now at 39 are all very, very, very different things. I am currently a fourth Dan degree, whatever you want to call it, and I have no plans to grade again because I don't feel that they hold any value anymore. Um, I am happy in my training. You know, I'm training nearly every day. I'm going along to train with different people, experience different things. You know, um, I'm happy in, in in my what I'm doing with my training and I don't feel the need to sort of validate that in anybody else's eyes with another stripe on my belt. That's not to say I'm against anybody else that's doing that. It's a very, very personal thing. And I think that's an important consideration before going into this sort of 
argument, I suppose, for want of a better description, of junior black belts. Now, in my school, we do have junior black belts. And, you know, I, these kids have worked stupidly hard for, for, their, for their grade. Um, they actually do test alongside the adults, their grading is shorter. What we do in my school is they they take part in sort of two thirds of the the grading alongside the adults, and then the kids finish their grading, and then the adults continue, and we work on sort of more adult focused content, not syllabus. We just push them in a more adult manner, and I'm sure you can all appreciate what that would mean. Those of you that do sort of more intense black belt tests, um, now. Does that in any way affect the validity of their, the, the, the kids, the junior black belts? No. But we do make it very clear that what they have earned is a junior black belt. And, you know, the, the, the suggestion was that we should be using this black belt with a white stripe through it. We don't use those. Um, and if people don't like that, that's fine. But what I would argue is, would the student wearing that black belt with a white stripe in any way, shape or form alter their ability? Would it affect the quality of our black belts? No, it wouldn't. That, I feel, is more important. The quality of the student, the quality of the teaching, the instructing, first and foremost, that is the most important thing. Not the colour of the piece of, let's say, cotton for argument's sake, that you wear around your waist. You know, it could be a leopard print belt for all it matters. It What what really, really concerns me anyway, um, my main focus is on the quality of the teaching and the quality of the student, not the colour of the belt. Um, I, 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 yes, I, I, I know that it's set that, you know, it, it, you should be wearing this colour belt or that colour belt. But, you know, it comes back to what I was saying earlier about the argument about stances, about hip positioning, about this pattern should be in this order and it should be there. And it, look, it really it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. You know, I um, I went to a training session um, with a, another instructor the, the other week and I didn't wear my belt because I didn't feel that my grade or my rank was relevant within that environment. Other people did. Now, that's not to say that I was judging them because they did. Absolutely not. But it was a personal choice. They felt that their rank, their experience was valid within that setting and that they wanted to display it. That's cool. I personally felt that my experience and rank and, you know, it, it had no bearing or no place within that training environment. So I respectfully did not wear my belt. At the same time, I didn't then go and chuck a white belt on because I felt that that would have been disrespectful to the, any white belts or beginners because that wouldn't be, you know, it, again, so it's, it's a very personal thing, very, very personal thing. Uh, and this argument of junior black belts is a tangled old mess. I respect everyone's reasons for why they choose what they choose. No one is right. No one is wrong. Um, but... We do. Per I, I personally do run junior black belts, and I do do a retest for them um, once I feel that they are an adult, which is, in some cases, never. For <laughs> joking aside, it's not eighteen for everybody. You know, being an adult, you know, legally is eighteen. But you know, I've got juniors 
in my school at 15 and 16 that are far more mature than some 30 year olds. So, you know, um, to each their own on that one, I think. Um, I think that brings us to the end, 54 minutes in, <laughs> of our questions. Um, I've probably missed some. I'm good at doing that. Um, but what we're going to do now is we're going to go over, going to change the tone up completely. Oh, by the way, thank you to all the people that, that did send those questions in. I'm pretty sure that most of you have probably listened to this podcast in about five chunks, <laughs> which is why I don't do these that often, because I do know, you know, listening to me waffling on for the best part of an hour is, you know, <laughs> it's pretty intense. Um, but, you know, I, I do like to do these occasionally just to change things up, because, you know, not only does it, it make for different content, but it, it makes me challenge my own thoughts and my own ideas as well, which is an important part of my growth as an instructor and as a martial artist as well. Um, so thank you for, for your questions. But yes, getting back to what I was saying, changing tone, changing it up. Um, I think now would be a good time to get over to uh, Matt Chapman for our, for our near-weekly uh, Matt Chat. Um, and let's have a listen to what he's got to say. And then I will catch up with you all on the other side of that. Brought to you by www.mitmaster.com. Okay, guys, so it's that time again. Every week, we'd like to get on the phone and have a catch-up with Mitmaster Matthew Chapman. How's it going, sir? Um, very good, thank you. I had a busy week traveling around last week trying to help martial arts instructors. Trying to help I was going to say trying. Are we, are we, are we actually helpable? <laughs> uh, I think so, yeah. Some are, some are. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it depends how. So in what way have you been trying to help these martial arts instructors then? Um, I've been going around trying to help them with their websites because uh, we've all got websites for our schools. Um, the problem is most martial arts websites are not particularly great at converting uh, prospects and getting them to get in contact. So websites. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's what we said at the <laughs> on it. So um, yeah, I've just been trying to help people with that because you've got this thing that's sitting on Google, and you know if you're ranking fairly well, you know top three, top five. You're going to be getting traffic, so people are going to go to your website to find out about your classes, and then when they get there, if it's a mess, confusing, not clear, um, and with contradictory sort of marketing messages, people are just going to go, oh, not sure. And basically, a confused person is going to leave your website and go back to Google. Oh, a person who's not sure like exactly what the next step is or how to achieve their goal is going to leave your website and go back to Google, and they're just going to go to your competitors. So... It, it's one of the first things that you need to get right if you're marketing your school is get your website right, especially your homepage. Okay. So if we so, were to take, for example, my website, or should I say my school's website? Yeah. Go for it. Which is uh, what? ChrisJonesMartialArts.com? It's CJMAA.co.uk. Or, cool. Or Arts. Cool. Is that the same website? Yep. Or HarrogateMartialArts.co.uk. Uh, so that's a good oh. thing you already, <laughs> is you're uh, targeting the local area with your domain name. So a lot of um, martial artists name their website after themselves. Yeah. Um, and that's okay if people are actually searching for Chris Jones. Yeah. But a lot of people in your local area don't know who you are, so therefore they're going to be searching for martial arts in their local town. So if you can get your domain to say kickboxing in a particular area or taekwondo in a particular area that really kind of helps yep. with that so you've got that going on already so i've had I've got your home page up now i'm having a look at it now so oh, it's a nice clean it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> time just time just like you off no it's a nice clean looking home page very lots of space 
Uh, you haven't got too many tabs across the top, which is excellent. Sometimes I see websites that have got like home about members area, uh, timetable classes, the different styles they've got across the top of it. Um, blog, like it's just too much choice for people. So you've only got six, which is literally spot on. So well done. Yes. Front and center, though, you've got your logo, which is pretty cool, to be fair. But that front and center right underneath your tabs is like the prime location for a website. And that space should be filled with an offer, right. not, with, not with your club's uh, name or your logo, because that's literally wasted. I'm going to pen out. Right, so now... <laughs> right, he's down. So in that middle, you've got your Christian Martial Arts Academy. I would have your special two-week trial offer or whatever special offer that you do, free T-shirt, free joining, whatever, right in the middle so people instantly see a, a, an attractive offer. Okay. I need to get this changed, don't I, before the podcast goes live. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you're gonna have to keep it the same, I'm afraid. Until and then afterwards, we can do one afterwards. Oh. I like your, I like your uh, members award. Um, what's that, Mamlo Awards? Yeah, it's like a, it's a local Facebook group. Um, yeah. it's actually not local anymore. It's this, I think it's gone national. Um, right. And it and it's a Facebook group aimed at. Oh no, I don't want to get this wrong because if someone's listening, they'll probably. I think it started out life as being like. Uh, uh, a Facebook group for like professional working mums, right? Yeah, gotcha. Um, and, yeah. and they and every year they have a um, an award an yeah. thing, and it was the first year. Um, oh, brilliant! And uh, <laughs> we actually got that many votes. We, uh, we we forced them into changing the rules. It was quite hilarious. Cool. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a nice thing to have on your homepage because it just it's like social proof and that you know you have achieved uh, recognition in the local community so that's cool so mm. I, I keep that there and on the other side you've got your information about your school so you've got the call or text number and a map on there as well i would personally just add a uh, an email link to you there as well okay. so have all your contact information in the same place so okay. telephone number email num uh, email and map all in one place and hopefully that stays in that place on each page. Let's go and have a look. So if I go to your about page... Of course it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. No. <laughs> so ideally, that sort of header bit where your tabs are and your offer is and your contact information is and your award is uh, should stay in the same place on every page. Okay. So that people know where it is. Because right, it creates okay. consistency, right? Yep. Otherwise, if I land on your about page, some reason I've come to your about page, then I can't easily get in contact with you from that page. Got you. So that would be something I would sort as well. You've got a nice little uh, thing here for getting in touch to book a class in Nairsborough mm-hmm. with a, to put your email address in underneath your, your banner, which is good. Um, I would make your offer a bit more attractive rather than just get in touch. I'd put like a, a time limit on it or some sort of claim your two-week free trial pass. Yeah, we did, use to, did actually used to say to claim your two free classes um, yes but we we switched to uh, a paid trial format recently right okay just as an experiment right. so you know we were the the people that were seeing on facebook the paid trial option were yeah. going on to that and then the people that were coming through the website were emailing and going oh can i get two free classes and i'm like uh, right, uh, got you. we're yeah. not doing that right now sorry so I, yeah i just <laughs> changed it um just yeah. to just to kind of test it to see if we would carry on getting the same amount of 
emails and we actually don't. It's good that you're testing it because that's the most important thing to actually test what works because you'll test one headline and it will get, you know, 10, 10 inquiries a month and you'll try a few more and you'll find one that will get you 30 inquiries a month. Yeah, so this, just test this, it. One, this one, does, this one's hardly got us anything at all. Right, okay. So, so, yeah. Check it out and change it and just change it every month until you get a winner. Hmm, okay. You know what I mean? You just go for something a little bit more punchy more you know what are they going to get you know get your two week free pass and your free guide to starting martial arts like it yeah something like that or your two you know your two week free pass and your uh, t-shirt on free t-shirt on joining uh-huh. click here or wh- whatever offer you find converts best for you okay um, I'd also move that down slightly so it stands alone because right now it's jumbled in with your your banner sort of area so I'd just move it down the page so it sits underneath your map as a just like a clear this is where you can enter your information to get your free trial so oh, that's cool. top of your page now if we go down a bit you've got oh yes perfect 10 points to you i've never looked at your website before so well done okay um, we haven't set this up so he's he's, he's made it perfect uh, you've got a series of buttons and images that relate to those buttons that is literally like the perfect next step so they, they get to your page they should, should see like an offer at the top um, a way of getting into contact for you for that offer straight away and the next thing is they can self-select where they want to go you've got a little dragons button a junior taekwondo button an adult taekwondo button and a ladies kickboxing with a nice clear button and it looks really good cool <laughs> so well done that's that's spot on so what that does is it allows the person to go right okay I'm looking for little dragons what i might add for you is to add the ages because you've got little dragons and junior taekwondo you know i was here. looking at that thinking that i was, just, I was that's weird because i was looking at it that very second thinking it doesn't say what the ages are yeah so you might have someone who's six but they don't know which one they're going to go in right yeah, yeah got, you, got so you make it easier for them little dragons ages four to seven and junior taekwondo whatever you know uh uh that that's the only thing i'd improve there that's really good and then as you go down at the bottom there you've got um a center of excellence which is cool i would personally just have a series of testimonials underneath that those buttons so you know and i would have a range meaning don't just get all parents talking about kids get a adult talking about how the confidence has improved and weight loss get a parent talking about how their children are better behaved and you know uh, more respectful get a ladies kickboxing student talking about how she feels safer and more confident so you know what i mean you get a range of testimonials there that would be really good underneath there and try and get a picture with the testimonial if you're going to do a written one um little video testimonials would be good cool like three or four okay for a parent for an, an adult male and for an adult female fantastic and here's a good thing about your homepage. That's it. There's nothing else on it. That is like perfect. You don't want then your blog underneath that and then your Facebook feed underneath that and then your newsletter underneath that and then like it, your homepage becomes too large and confusing. Basically, what you've kind of created is what is known as a squeeze page. Do you know what that is? Yeah, I've heard that saying. So it's a page where people have very limited options. Like they can basically do one or two things or leave. And You've done that perfectly because they can literally – enter their information to get in contact with you or click on a button to find out more about classes. So you've nailed that perfectly. Add a few testimonials, um, add those awards at the bottom. Gosh, done. I'll do that. So, yeah, your homepage is very, very good. So you must be reading my mind or something. I must have been reading somebody's book. 
yeah. Because that is is a, a tidy, clean, easy to use homepage, not confusing. This is the main thing. If people have too many choices, too many options, too much to read, too much to go through, they get confused and a confused mind doesn't buy. They just leave. Yeah, I remember now why I had it laid out slightly. It, it, on a desktop, it doesn't look quite so good, but I actually had it set out for a phone display. I remember now. Oh, right. I'll have a look on it on phone So as well. it should display absolutely exactly the same on a phone yeah. as it does on the desktop. But I remember it I remember you, you can little experiment for listeners if you want to try it now as well. I had it set in such a way so that it felt like the information was sat in in the, the hand of the person holding the the phone. It Ooh. was so it's positioned slightly higher rather than lower. See if it works for you or not. I, it was just a little thing I was playing around with at the time when What's I was the making website it. again? CJ MAA dot co dot UK. Right, let's have a look. See, let's see if it does it for you. Right, so what did you say it looked like? It's supposed to sort of sit nicely right in the sort of centre. It does. The issue is, this is uh, a website that is not optimised for mobile, by the looks of it. Oh, in what way? It should be. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What does it do for you? Uh, It looks fine. It looks like a miniature version of your homepage. Yes. But that's not good for mobile. Because in in order for me to read the text, because I'm blind... I'm gonna have to pinch and, <laughs> I'm gonna have to pinch and zoom, uh, and then move around the page. Okay. So what you'd really want is like a fully optimized um, mobile optimized website that ah. appear. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, so I do, I do, I do. I did. Be logo I, at the top, and then underneath would be the next bit, and then it would be the series of buttons, probably one at a time, down down in a row with the map at the bottom, so it just it, it's easier to read on a mobile. Okay, I did have it set like that before, but. People mm. were saying they didn't like it like that, so I thought, oh, well, okay, I'll well, here's, change here's, it to no, 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 well, test it. I mean, yeah. you know, it, test it and see. Uh, the issue is that uh, a website that's not properly mobile op- optimized won't rank as highly on Google as one that is. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Because 60% to 70% of mobile uh, traffic comes from mobiles yep. nowadays, so people are just using their phones to find websites. And if it's not done properly, Google is kind of like, well. It's a good effort, but you're not going to really rank as highly as you can because you're not making it mobile friendly. So I would tweak that if I was you. Excellent. So, yeah, that's like your homepage is is really, really good. It's one of the best I've seen, actually. Oh, come on. Now, seriously, in terms of <laughs> just clear, simple to use, like just easy it's just it's literally spot on so just make those changes put an offer in that top banner move your uh your email subscription box down so it stands alone in its own sort of strip um just add the ages of the kids and add some testimonials and you've literally got the perfect homepage. and i made it myself well done sir well done very good after reading your book (laughs) very good (laughs) so that's what i've been doing i've literally been going up to people you know i went up uh, country and and sat down and just broke down people's uh pages and people make really innocent mistakes the main mistake they make is they think like a martial artist rather than like a parent or person who's wants to do martial arts but is nervous so i was uh, at a crab school and i was looking at the crab guys and marketing and one 
there was they had a video of like guys doing crab and it was really cool really dynamic but probably to a person who wasn't that you know gifted or physically skilled it would look a bit intimidating and the only point a woman appeared in the video was when someone was holding a knife to her throat yeah so as a woman thinking you know uh i might want to learn some self-defense they watch this promo video and they they get to a point where you know it's just a knife to a woman's throat it's just gonna freak them out right yeah they're gonna be like what the hell they hold knives to people's throats at this martial arts place so i was like you gotta take that out (laughs) it's like it doesn't work for the end user you gotta think always about the person at the end what what do they want what are their fears what are their desires what are they hoping to get from it what are they worried about cool so that's a little one yeah lesson on like website design for martial arts Fantastic. Well, um, I'm, I've got all these notes, uh, admittedly written on the back of a receipt, but I've got all these. <laughs> right. Just don't file it yet. Just put it, yeah, put it on, leave it on my desk. Excellent. I'm going to get onto that. I'll, I'll say I'll, I'll, I'll not change anything for, I'll say, a week or so. Yeah. Leave it as it is, so that if anybody does want to go on and have a look, yeah, um, they can, and then they'll be able to go back and have a look at the chat. Why don't you put, your, put the link in the um, show notes? I will do that. I will do that. Oh, Fantastic. Excellent. So um, what else have we got going on in the minute? Oh, obviously, one thing I should mention yeah. is um, thank you very much for kindly offer to, offering to help us out with our show costs through your awesome sponsorship. So oh, that's thank okay. you to yourself and obviously mitmaster.com. Go check it out, guys. Yeah, I just want, well, you know, we've been working together and it's it's useful to have sponsors and people helping you out. So I just thought I'd try and lend a hand as I can. And it has already been put to good use with last week's episode. Um, I had a very long three and a bit hour drive down to Telford and uh, the associated hotel costs and everything. So yeah, any sponsorship that we can get, guys, it always definitely does help. So if there's anybody else out there that fancies dropping a, uh, as, with a little bit of, a little bit of financial help then please do feel free to get in touch yeah Let's see what we can work good. out for you although you can't be title sponsor now because that's McMaster <laughs> <laughs> you got in there first <laughs> cool um, as well I spotted on Facebook that you're doing something to help out um, some mutual friends within the martial arts industry yeah um, well I was reading Wendy Dyer uh, and Simon Simon Fells uh, Facebook posts about all the crap that's gone on with their house that they're renting mm. um, and the fact like it's literally unlivable in um, the environmental health has said so and it's just awful and it's made her really really ill you know to the point where she could have died a couple of times to now so that she's having to live in a front garden in a tent which is just ridiculous and there's all sorts of issues with the landlord possibly not helping out as much as they could and environmental health and social services just like kind of leaving them in the lurch so i was like well if we as a group could help out a fellow martial artists and um raise some money maybe we get some money together for them to help them move to a you know safer home for them and the kids so yeah i put up a little page so i'll share it about and if you share it in the course notes that'd be good We've already raised like 500 quid towards it. So if we could raise, raise a couple of grand, that'll maybe give them a chance to like rent somewhere else or, or just get out of it, basically. Yeah, I've met them. I've met them both now. I actually met, first met Simon when when we opened when I opened my school here. Um, we had a, a, an old Bob that was, it's seen better days. But I knew that somebody with a little bit more about them than me that could probably repair it. <laughs> and at the time, um, they'd just opened their school in Retford. And uh, so right. I said, well, you know, if you guys want to come and get it, you're very welcome to it. 
and uh, that's how we got talking and he came over spent a couple of hours over at the gym and we had a good chat and uh yeah they're really good guys um running run a fantastic school over in retford uh kairos martial arts yes so, yes doing good things and good they're good people as well really good people they are, they're, lovely, they're lovely people and it's just like it, it frustrates me i don't like feeling powerless you know just sitting there and watching people suffer when i can do something about it so i thought yeah just so up this little uh, giving page and get everyone to chuck in 20, 30, you know, quid each. You know, if we get 100 people to do that, it gives them an opportunity to maybe sort something out. So. Fantastic. Good on you, sir, for, for getting that set up and we'll very, very happily support it. Um, and if anybody wants to get involved with helping out, as you say, if you go check out the show notes, I'll also post it within the Facebook group as well. So if you go to the Kitback with Chris Martial Arts podcast, Facebook group and like page, I'll post it in both those places. So you can go check that out. Thank you again, sir, for your time. Um, well, mate, it's that... nice analysing your website. I'm glad it was good. I mean, if it was a mess, I imagine I'd have, to, like, <laughs> I'd have to slate you on your own show. That would be awful. Well, you know, it's what it is, isn't it? So, it, you know, <laughs> as it happened, it was okay. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thanks for your time, sir. And we will catch up again next week. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Kickback with Chris, the martial arts podcast, brought to you by www.onlinekicking.co.uk. So a big thanks to Matt, as always, for his time and expertise in that particular area. Um, it's always good to catch up and uh, learn something new. So in the coming weeks, we have quite a number of, um, shall we say, high-profile guests. Not to say that we've not had some higher-profile guests on so far, but um, these are guests that I've been working on trying to line up for a quite some time now I'm quite excited um, to be able to hopefully share with you some more information in the coming weeks hopefully coming days truth be told so just keep an eye out on the Facebook group uh, kickbackpodcast.com that's the website you know what I mean kickback with Chris the martial arts podcast that's the Facebook group the website is kickbackpodcast.com. <laughs> in other news, um, obviously more in relation to my my own work um, away from the podcast and teaching, um, I have just revamped, relaunched, however you want to look at it, my website, um, onlinekicking.co.uk. So now, rather than directing straight through to the course content, it actually takes you to a landing page where I have just, this last week, uh, released my very first ebook, albeit very tiny, um, but uh, joking aside, you know, uh, I'd put it out there. You know, who would be interested in me writing a like a, a series of sort of mini ebooks, sort of written tutorials on specific techniques, um, ones that tend to cause people um, some difficulty either in training them or teaching them, and sort of putting my particular spin on those techniques. Now, you know, those that know me well will know that I have a slightly over the top, maybe boring on obscene desire for kicking people in the head, <laughs> um, and all the details you know within that. So, now joking aside, you know I'm really into pulling techniques apart and, and working out why this and and how that, and um, questioning the way that we are taught, not in a bad way, but just to understand why are we taught that way, and is there potentially a better way of doing it? So, some of my approaches to teaching uh, kicking are. A, a little bit different, but I've had lots of really nice feedback um, from my ebook that I released, um, basically titled uh, Mastering the Spin Hook Kick. I think it's fair to say the spin hook kick or the reverse turning kick is one of those techniques that people do either struggle to teach sometimes or sort of struggle in general with uh, the kick. 
And uh, in the ebook, I actually come at it from two angles. One as the sort of newer, maybe intermediate student trying the technique for the first few times or the early in their training. And for somebody who maybe already teaches it or is more experienced, um, just some other elements of the kick that I personally found through dissecting it that aren't often considered or maybe overlooked in favour of, of, of different elements or too much emphasis is placed on different elements. So um, if you're interested, it's, it's completely free. Um, if you go along to my website, um, onlinekicking.co.uk, um, there is a, a box. You just put your email in there. Uh, all the details of, of what's involved in that are, are listed on it. Um, and then uh, it sends you a link that you just click, download the, the PDF file, give it a read, and then obviously some, give me some feedback. Um, I'm hoping to do a, a a couple of follow-ups as well. You know, if there's any particular techniques that anybody wants me to to put my 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 angle on or my take on, please do let me know, and I will I'll get to work on that one. Okay, guys. So um, slightly longer episode. Uh, so it's it's nice every now and again to do these slightly different ones to change things up. Um, more, as I say, more details on upcoming guests will be made available very very soon. Um, if you have, as always, if you have any suggestions, comments, um, suggestions for guests, please do get in touch with us, kickbackpodcast.com or the Facebook group or my email, chrisjonestkd at gmail.com. Uh, please do send them over. If you're interested in being a guest yourself, exactly the same thing, you know, get in touch. Um, also, don't forget to check out our show sponsors, uh, mitmaster.com. Loads of really cool content on there, um, of which I have made use of as a both a student and as an instructor. So please do go check them out as well. Um, whatever you're doing today, have a great day, great weekend, great evening, and I will speak to you all very soon. Enjoy our podcast? Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Kickback with Chris on iTunes today.